This is the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast from Advanta IRA, where we show you how to explore investments beyond Wall Street and open your eyes to new options for your portfolio. It's time to take control and give yourself the freedom to choose where you invest your money. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. My name is Alex Perney, and today we will be doing a little bit of a special edition with a uh, mid-year market update, kind of a comprehensive look of what's going on in the world and securities markets and how that's affecting your retirement, as well as a dive into what's really going on in the real estate markets as well. So we'll forego our normal uh, download section with the current events, since we'll be covering that in great detail within this podcast, and we'll get right into the what is the what is a homestead exemption. Homestead exemption is a way to minimize property taxes for homeowners. It's also a legal provision offered in most states that helps shield from a home creditors from following the death of a homeowner's spouse or declaration of bankruptcy. Homestead tax exemptions can provide surviving spouses with ongoing property tax relief, which is done on a graduated scale so that homes with lower assessed value benefit the most. This has been The What Is. Okay, today on what's going on in the markets. I know a lot of people are a little bit apprehensive and maybe a little bit uh, scared about what's going on, but we'd like to break down a little bit of uh, all of the things that are going on in the world so people can be a little bit more informed. Now, that's not to say that people should not be concerned or worried about what's going on in financial markets and what's going on with their bottom line of their investments, but it's the best thing that you can do is to be informed when it comes to investing so that you can make the best decision possible for you and your family. And that comes with really kind of what's understand having a deeper understanding of what's really going on uh, without kind of getting uh, too bogged down in what's uh, being promoted out on the news cycles. We try to take a as uh, informative of an approach to this without kind of drifting to one side or the other, just so that you can have the best information possible, again, to make informed decisions. Now, kind of one of the biggest things that is uh, to be really concerned about at present is the fact that in the stock market right now, companies are consistently missing their projected earnings reports uh, for the highest rate since Q3 of 2020. Now, this was the quarter coming out of the initial onset of the pandemic. And essentially what that means is that when companies, at least publicly traded ones, uh, have, uh, the re- have the responsibility, if they're publicly traded, to project their earnings uh, for a particular quarter. And then on a quarterly basis, most of them will release their actual numbers of how much money they actually made. Now, this is a concern because if companies are not hitting their uh, underlying targeted goals, that means that their share prices will typically trade lower. Now, one thing that is kind of an interesting note right there is is that roughly 2% of all companies that have missed their earnings reports this year have seen an actual rise in their underlying share prices of their uh, companies being traded on open markets, which is kind of a disconcerting factor considering that if a company is not making as much money as they thought, then why would their share prices be going up? One of the kind of concerning factors that is playing into markets right now is just how unusual some of the influences on the market are and how exactly things are reacting. Uh, Typically, one would think that anytime that a company doesn't meet its earnings projections, that its share price could go down, but that certainly isn't the case in all use cases. So definitely something to be 
uh, on the lookout for is that there might actually be value to companies if they aren't actually hitting their projected uh, growth numbers. But that's not to say that you should just be going out and uh, kind of looking to these companies that are not making their metrics as a uh, viable investment option. It's just something really interesting to look at with regard to the context of all of the interesting and crazy things that are going on in the markets today. Now, let's take a look at some of the larger stock market indexes. The Standard & Poor's 500, which is a large index that kind of that aggregates the values of the most valuable companies in the entire world that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange, has been getting hammered this year. Uh, So year to date, they are down 23.36%, and that is down five and a half. That's down 5.18% since August. Now, this in and of itself is kind of a very telling measure of just how hard it is going to be to actually make money within the stock markets in the United States. If you're looking at all of the quote blue chip stocks and you know a quarter of them essentially cannot make it out or you know their companies that are going trending so far down that almost a quarter of the market value in that particular index has been lost it's going to definitely make it a little bit tighter for those investing in the stock markets uh, if you're just maybe investing along a certain index per an, an index uh, for your investing metrics again going to be making it uh, relatively hard to actually um you know, get some value there. Now, more interesting is looking at some other indexes, such as the Dow Jones, which is a industri- which is an an index of industrial companies. That is down eight point five one percent year to date, but it has rebounded slightly since August. When I t- took a look at this earlier, with one point zero nine percent since August, and the S and P mid cap four hundred, which is a very tech heavy index is down 10.48% year to date, but it is up 1.02% since August. Now, this is a very interesting one to look at because tech companies have just been getting absolutely slaughtered with companies uh, seeing some of them over half of their value wiped out since the beginning of this year. So looking into what exactly is going on in some of these, it is very hard to pinpoint. So what I'd like to bring to people's attention is that if you are going to be investing heavily in securities, one, you need to understand a lot of the external factors that are playing into how a lot of these things are being valued. Now, that has a lot to do with um, international and geopolitical issues, such as uh, trade and supply chain issues, which I know people are probably getting a little bit burnt out about hearing about, but it is still very much an issue, and we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, and also different things going on, such as the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, which, again, I like to bring to this people's attention because we have a tendency to get burned out on the news cycle. But these things that are continually being pushed and just kind of repeated ad nauseum on uh, the news networks do have a direct bearing and continued effect on the U.S. stock markets. And we'll also get into a little bit on how the issues that are happening externally that aren't getting as much press coverage or maybe having a slightly larger effect on the United States stock market in general as well, as there are two situations happening in China right now that have almost zero to do with the actual uh, with actual supply chain issues that are directly affecting both uh, real estate markets and have the potential to affect securities markets in the United States as well. Now, another big factor playing into just how expensive things are getting and maybe having an effect on share price as well is the update on the Consumer Pricing Index. Last week, we saw one of the largest single-day drops 
between Wednesday and Thursday that we have seen uh, in the past 30 years in the stock markets. It was an absolute bloodbath last week. If you were invested in the stock market, I'm sure this is probably kind of not coming as news to you. But the Consumer Pricing Index, which is the inflationary index that the United States Fed uh, puts out, on a, on a regular basis shows that we are seeing an 8.3 rise in overall inflation from August 2021. Now, this is a huge amount of inflation. It's almost the large largest increase in inflation since the 1970s when we had the gas crisis in the United States where we were seeing rampant inflation. So things across the board, everything from consumer goods to durable goods, energy, everything is getting more expensive. Which, again, shouldn't be necessarily coming as a shock to anyone, but some silver lining in that is that the inflationary rate, uh, although it did go up, did go up at a much slower rate than it did in the two previous quarters in the United States. So while we do have extremely high inflation and we haven't seen that back off, we are seeing it slow down a little bit, which, again, is going to be good for people across the board because if it does decrease the amount of everyday living costs, so basically essentially what it costs you just to live and breathe in the United States is going to help free up additional capital, or it's at least going to stem the bleeding that the average US investor is seeing come out of their pocket, which in turn would reduce the amount that they have to invest. But again, the CPI, the Consumer Pricing Index, is a very important thing to keep an eye on, especially when they're being being reported on recently. I think we can pretty much safely assume that the, uh, the CPI numbers are not going to probably have a very good effect on the stock market values, at least in the short term whenever there is a meeting. So that might help you kind of frame a better strategy if it's coming to your investments about what you're maybe looking to adjust or which positions you have, because uh, we've seen this for the past three times that the CPI has been produced this year, that we have seen a precipitous drop in stock markets uh, across the board with regard to the New York Stock Exchange, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, uh, S&P mid cap, all of these different type of stock market indexes have taken a significant hit directly afterwards. However, there has been a relatively solid rebound coming each time that this has been uh, each time that these numbers have been produced. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And at least with the trend this year of having a negative effect on share values pretty much across the board, it can maybe help you deliver a little bit better and more focused of a strategy when it comes to what you're doing when some of these things are uh, being debated and when these things are going to be actually uh, produced and the numbers released. This also kind of goes directly into the Fed when they're meeting about uh, rate increase hikes. Uh, Now, the Fed's started their meetings this week. Uh, It is the week of September 20th. So any time that the Fed has met this year, so far they have raised the the intramoney lending rate 75 basis points, so 0.75% each time they have met. And it is widely believed that they are probably going to raise it again, maybe not to that same extent, but they are certainly looking at raising those rates again, which is an effort to help slow down the economy a bit to uh, bring values back into a more realistic realm. Now, will this necessarily work? Well, a lot of banks across the world are kind of looking at uh, this same kind of strategy. You have Thailand looking to raise rates, uh, the European Union also looking to raise rates on intra-lending. Uh, so you have a lot of different places that are looking at doing these same kind of tactics to help slow down a global economy. So to think that we're kind of insulary in what we're doing here in the United States and that there might be value externally from us, just understand that these types of monetary policy shifts are happening 
happening worldwide. It's not just here in the United States, which is a very important thing to watch out for, especially if you're looking to diversify, if you're kind of focused on securities investing, if you're looking to diversify outside of the United States, we have similar economic policy happening globally right now. So if you think that maybe that this is, again, kind of just focus on the United States, that's definitely not the case. Make sure you're doing your research if you're looking to expand externally from your traditional investing platform here in the United States. Now, an interesting fact that I came up when I was looking at, uh, or I should say not a fact, but uh, a piece of information that was put out by Ford Motor Company is that the supply chain issues are still very real uh, in the world right now. Uh, they are estimating, Ford is estimating that they're going to have over $1 billion of additional costs just in the next quarter. So while inflation has certainly showed to be slowing down, it is still increasing. When you have a company stating that they are going to have to eat an additional billion dollars of costs just in supply chain issues of getting things like raw materials, semiconductors, everything needed to make vehicles, which, you know, durable goods that the that are also already very expensive. It just goes to show that we're not out of the woods yet when it comes to things like supply chain issues. And again, I understand that people get very burnt out about hearing about this, but these are still issues. Um, you know, you wouldn't ignore uh, a hurricane if there was one coming directly after one that had already hit you. And I think that's kind of a good analogy to look at when it comes to uh, the things that are happening right now in the world with regard to the pricing of everyday goods. Um, you know, we can't just ignore something because we have been hearing about it, hearing about it, and learned to live with it. These are things that are are going to continue to affect people. And while something like supply chain issues might not necessarily hamper or dampen a particular company's uh, share price because it might drive up, it might increase the scarcity of their good, which increases the cost, which increases demand, which would increase price. It's also going to have a different effect on the economy as a whole if less people are able to participate in a market, which might help to drive down demand for things. So we're living in a very interesting time of economic forces that we really kind of haven't seen uh, all happen at once. Uh, we've looked at um, you know, various different things happening um, in different points in time. But we're kind of looking at a very uh, interesting fact that we're having a lot of different factors happen all at once. We've seen things like housing uh, collapse in the early aughts. We've seen uh, high inflation, uh, things like this happen in the 1970s. We've seen uh, banking crises happen or things like the savings and loan, and also to a bigger extent, the 2007 financial crisis. covered the fact that the Fed is definitely looking to raise rates again, probably about 75 basis points. Now, we do have a, uh, a different banking situation that we uh, should really kind of get into, and that is the worsening market in the banking situation unfolding in China. And I'll kind of expand on exactly why this is going to have a potential direct impact on the United States. And it's going to be twofold. It's going to be um, asset-based with regards to securities and other types of investments, and then also direct, really, directly related to real estate as well. So right now in China, we're seeing a situation uh, kind of similar to what happened to the banks in the United States in the 1930s during the Great Depression. There's a lot of overextended debt and bad debt being lent out by banks, and they were overextending and reducing their liquidity to the point where people were then in turn are, are 
potentially unable to withdraw money from the banks, uh, which is kind of uh, pointing to a little bit of a run on people trying to get money out of those financial institutions. Obviously, people need to live, they need money. Uh, so that is uh, something that is happening to a point in China. Now, the Chinese government has tried to stymie this with their own version of the uh, FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, essentially trying to backstop this by uh, providing coverage to accounts that otherwise were uh, not being able to be withdrawn from to a certain extent. Now, the coverage in China roughly kind of equates with the with the exchange rate of about $17,000 of coverage per account. So definitely not a whole lot, uh, but it is certainly uh, making people a little bit scared of having liquidity in, in China. Now, one thing China, the Chinese population has been doing, and granted, this has been more on a corporate scale, but certainly individual investors as well. They have been buying assets in the United States for roughly the past 20 years when it comes to our debt, our bonds, uh, securities in the United States. The Chinese uh, Chinese population as a whole has been investing heavily in the United States. Now, what this potentially might do is drive a large sell-off. So if you look at general principles of economics, if you have a large influx of supply with relatively steady demand, it's going to drive prices down. So while we only we might simply like to look at you know kind of the large external factors so things like the war in ukraine or continued inflation here in the united states covid all these different types of things we might like to look to that as kind of the simple things to say hey you know this is what's really affecting uh share prices and markets in the united states there are other smaller external factors that really don't get enough airtime on the news cycles that are going to have a direct impact here in the united states and i really do think this is one of them for people to watch out for is simply for the fact that we do have the potential, if this banking crisis in China worsens, for their own domestic issue, uh, for their own domestic banking issue to have a direct impact on the United States by simply the fact that people are going to need to access liquidity and by selling assets, they can do that. And if a large number of assets in the United States are held by the Chinese, then that certainly is something to look at. It's something that's going to be very concerning for the average U.S. investor to want to take a much a much more active look into what is happening with things like that. So what I'm really trying to get hit home with right here is that just because a particular financial institution is not located in the U.S. or a particular financial uh, situation doesn't necessarily have a kind of direct, you know, bearing in the United States. You know, a uh, a Chinese citizen going to a bank and not being able to withdraw money would seem very far away from issues that directly affect us, like supply chain issues of us not being able to manufacture goods or have other things in the United States go on. Uh, that those kind of external factors of just something as simple as oh, I say simple, but not to downplay how serious it is of the Chinese having a banking crisis can certainly have direct and profound in impacts here in the United States. So that's something that I really like to bring up that I want people to really take a look at and make sure that you're following along with. Because again, the Chinese banking crisis does have the potential to really spill over and cause a lot of very serious, very bad issues for people here in the United States. Now, to shift gears a little bit, let's take a look at what's happening with cryptocurrency. Now, a lot of people, especially older investors, uh, maybe don't necessarily give the credence or really the uh, 
the the hard look at what the effects of cryptocurrency can be on the U.S. economy. Uh, you know, it definitely is a newer thing. A lot of younger investors really like it. But with larger financial institutions, so your larger U.S. banks, such as uh, uh, Bank of America, uh, Merrill Lynch, uh, Charles Schwab, uh, even the NASDAQ getting into holding cryptocurrency as institutional assets, the high volatility and just precipitous drop in value in these markets can have a negative effect on the markets as a whole when it comes to looking at the stock markets. So again, it's not necessarily something that people need to be aware of per se as far as investing because it is very complicated to kind of understand and do it effectively. But to think that cryptocurrency is just kind of a niche market that is not going to have a direct impact on impact on the US economy as a whole is a very dangerous approach to take. Simply one, for the fact that so many people have lost money, um, US citizens have, or I should just say, US investors have lost so much money this year in these markets. And also for the fact that our financial institutions are now starting to take a more active approach into cryptocurrency, whether it be the offerings or the institutional holdings that they're going to have, and also direct invested positions. We've even seen companies such as MicroStrategies start to take in Bitcoin as payment and base a lot of their available free cash flow as investment into cryptocurrencies. And again, this can have very far-reaching effects once you start having companies, especially ones that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange that don't necessarily have um, cryptocurrency services as their main focus that are investing heavily and using this as a cash alternative uh, can certainly help to drive the values of those companies very far down. So taking a look and understanding kind of what's happening in the cryptocurrency markets is very important. So while right now, as of the recording of this, um, I'll kind of go through a few key metrics of what's going on with cryptocurrency. So that way people can better understand just how much of an effect this can have on a, on our economy as a whole. So an interesting, an interesting point is that of the top 10 largest by volume and value cryptocurrencies, the top 10 have almost all lost about 50% of their value uh, this year. And the ones that haven't, the stable coins have also unpegged. And I'll get into what that is in a moment. So right now, Bitcoin is down 59.1% year to date. Ethereum is down 63.5%. XRP Ripple is down 47.7%. So these cryptocurrencies have lost almost half of their value in about nine months, which is just absolutely crazy to think that anything that is... Uh, being invested in uh, so much and so actively by so many people has lost so much value in such a short amount of time. And again, with the exposure that this has to the average US retail investor and to the larger investment firms as a whole, I think people can see, even if you're not invested in cryptocurrency, for the fact that larger financial institutions are starting to take these on as institutional assets, and it would reason to believe that they're also taking these on as invested positions for their companies, uh, that this can definitely help to have a very, very profound impact um, on on markets in general. Take, for example, how the mortgage-backed securities uh, almost single-handedly caused the financial meltdown in the uh, early 2000s. If we have companies that are investing heavily in assets that are going to underperform or lose so much value, again, not to say that this is going to be similar to that, but just to kind of paint a holistic picture saying, hey, you know, it, financial institutions that have invested in bad investments can cause a significantly larger impact, especially with something that people don't necessarily invest in or understand every day. 
the cryptocurrency markets worsening issues are are definitely something that can have a larger impact. So definitely keep an eye on it and also keep an eye on which companies are investing in cryptocurrencies because these things are extremely volatile. They have extremely high velocity of trade. So if something happens, it can happen very quickly. This is not going to be something that plays out over the course of months or years. Cryptocurrency markets have the ability to have very wide swings of value and volume and trading on a day-to-day and hour-to-hour basis. Now, another very kind of concerning thing with cryptocurrency is the liquidity standards that they use for exchange of these types of assets. So on to kind of give a very simplified view of why this is an issue, in the United States, when you place a trade for a particular stock market or security, the liquidity standard across the market is the US dollar. So you exchange a one US dollar for you know, a, a share of Microsoft or IBM or Tesla. But that's the liquidity standard that's used to exchange on the open markets, that there are market makers that exchange US dollars for the orders that are being traded. And that's kind of what the um, the river that carries the boat, if you will, of the actual trades that are happening on the stock market. Now, <clears throat> with that said, what happens in cryptocurrency markets is there's various different cryptocurrencies such as we'll use tether for an example that are what are called stable coins which provide a lot of that kind of water and uh, a lubrication to add liquidity to these markets so that people can sell and exchange and trade cryptocurrencies now the basic principle of this is that they're again what are called stable coins which are always pegged to the value of a fiat currency so Tether, for example, would use the US dollar. So one Tether being worth one US dollar to help facilitate trade. So if you place an exchange order for, let's say, you know, using Bitcoin to buy Ethereum, you the method of liquidity across these different exchanges would be utilizing something like Tether. Now, the problem with that is that you're always having to hope that these coins stay pegged to a particular dollar value. And these coins have de-pegged several times this year. So if you place an order for something and automatically the underlying liquidity then in turn uh, shifts and it goes down, well, then your trade by the time you have placed it automatically might not be able to occur or might cause additional price fluctuations on either end, which again can cause things to kind of go uh, haywire if the underlying liquidity in these markets isn't uh, kept in check. So I know that's kind of a lot to take in for people that maybe aren't as familiar with cryptocurrency or maybe just the finer points of uh, securities investing. But what I really want to bring up is that people need to, when they're looking at investing and looking at these markets in general, at least have kind of a... Uh, a reverent respect for cryptocurrency and the amount of damage and the amount of, of, I mean, it can certainly be a positive thing as well, but just the amount of issues that it can cause if there are things going on in these markets, which there certainly are. Again, the 10 largest of the 10 largest cryptocurrencies by trade and volume, all of the top 10 have lost roughly half of their value this year. And the stable coins, which have been used to peg several of the stable coins that have been used as liquidity on these exchanges have lost their peg several times this year as well. So just keep an eye on it. It's again, if you're not invested in it, that's great, but it's certainly not something to ignore uh, just because again, the, the NASDAQ this week, said they will start holding institutional cryptocurrency assets for their clients and their traders. So this stuff is not necessarily a flash in the pan. It is here to stay. People are going to continue to invest in it. And so are 
uh, larger corporations and exchanges. So the issues with cryptocurrency can also certainly have a very profound and direct impact on uh, market values. So let's shift gears and look at real estate. I know a lot of people listening to this are probably a little bit more interested in real estate than anything else. And it's definitely something we like to try to keep a uh, pretty strong focus on here. So with regard to real estate, uh, I'm going to go shift gears back into what is happening in China right now as well. So there is a very large Chinese commercial real estate issue happening. Now, this kind of directly ties into the other half of the Chinese banking crisis that I covered a little little, uh, little earlier. So essentially, kind of uh, to kind of give you a backstory on the commercial real estate issues in China, what commercial real estate developers have been doing in China for the past several years is they have been selling uh, 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 pre-construction uh, condominiums and homes to a lot of people. And essentially what they do is they would sell these pre-construction. People would take out a, a mortgage to pay for it and start making payments on it before they even moved in. And these construction firms would then begin construction. Well, with COVID and you know everything that's been happening in the world the past few years, a lot of these companies have been unable to uh, perform. So they took out large amounts of institutional debt um, and the tunes of hundreds of billions of dollars out of the Chinese banking system, um, which helped to drive down the uh, liquidity the liquidity ratios of these banks, which again can cause issues with people actually being able to get money out of these banks. But essentially, what these large commercial real estate firms did is that now they're now they're looking at potentially defaulting on these large commercial pieces of debt. People also have uh, outstanding mortgages for homes that are not being paid, which causes a whole other litany of issues that doesn't necessarily have bearing. Uh, on you know the U.S. markets per se, so let's take a look at the commercial real estate firms. We had one of the the largest commercial real estate default in Evergreen last year to the tune of several hundred billion dollars. But there's certainly many more other fish uh, in this ocean of issues with the Chinese uh, commercial real estate market. So these commercial real estate developers have a large amount of vested interest in U.S. commercial real estate. So if they are starting to see issues at home with being able to develop and sell additional units, well, what they need to do is raise capital. So if they have investments, which they have hundreds of billions of dollars of US commercial real estate, they're going to start to sell it. And they have. Just this year alone, Chinese investment firms have liquidated over $23 billion of commercial real estate assets here in the United States, which is kind of a good and a bad thing. It's bad from the perspective of what's going on in China and how that is causing um, the need for these assets to be sold, but it kind of creates a little bit of an opportunity here in the United States for the real estate investor, especially investors in commercial real estate. So while prices being high of real estate for commercial real estate isn't always the best thing, um, as opposed to people investing in single family uh, real estate. Uh, what it is going to cause is an increase in supply. And we have seen a very big issue with supply of any type of housing, and we'll get into that in a moment. So we've seen a big, big issue with supply of almost any type of uh, real estate. But what this issue in China is going to or is causing is an increase in the amount of inventory that we have commercial real estate. So commercial real estate uh, being more available is something that if you are looking to invest in commercial multifamily real estate or industrial real estate is something that might actually be a good time to start taking another stab at or starting to getting to more being more active in because there is going to be an increase in the amount of inventory simply for the fact that these large holding companies that do have large amounts of 
at, of commercial real estate in the United States are kind of being their hand is kind of being forced uh, into liquidating some of these assets. So, uh, commercial real estate might start to see a little bit of a benefit from this. Um, now, I'd I never like to kind of <laughs> think that uh, there's a benefit from someone hurting, but you know, it, there's certainly an opportunity there. Uh, these properties don't need to sit vacant; they need to be developed, they need to be purchased. So. With that said, the uh, the issue in China with commercial real estate is definitely something that might open up an opportunity uh, for more real estate syndicators to take a harder look at to try to maybe identify properties that are held by uh, Chinese holding companies because there might be some definite opportunity there uh, to get some good value on these on these properties because they need to sell and they need to sell quick. Now let's look at the. Uh, single-family home market. Uh, existing single-family home sales are down 5.9% from July of 2021. Now, this is kind of to be expected with everything that has been happening uh, over the past 9, 10 months in the United States. So seeing a cool down in the housing market, especially with what's been happening with the Fed raising interest rates uh, so much, you know, that now they're getting right up to around 6% for a 30-year fixed mortgage, is is to be expected. Uh, housing inventory is up 31% from July 2021, and that's the fastest increase since 2017. Now, what kind of might be interesting to look at is that, yes, this is not necessarily a, a good thing with how much home values have increased, basically pricing people directly out of the markets for being able to purchase homes. But people are talking about how expensive money is. And yes, that is definitely getting more expensive. But for the past several years, we've essentially had free money. Uh, I know when I bought my first home and I told my parents that I got a uh, a three and a half percent mortgage on my home, they they almost laughed. Uh, you know, if you're if you're listening to this and you were investing back in the '80s uh, and you were used to double digit uh, interest rates or even just something a little bit more normal of, uh, you know, five to six percent, which I I think definitely is along the lines of quote what would be maybe a little bit more normal of an interest rate. That um, you know, looking at things at five to six percent isn't too bad. But the big issue is is just how overvalued single-family homes in the United States are. We're looking at a median home price of almost four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. So, which is just absolutely wild. If you're looking for people to put down, uh, you know, five, ten, twenty percent, the amount of money that the average U.S. Uh, first-time home buyer has is certainly not that much to be able to afford these homes. So we definitely have an affordability crisis, which hopefully these rate hikes will start to help to drive drive that down. But the problem is, is that we have a few other factors that are going to maybe, um, you know, push into showing that people are not necessarily going to be looking to move as much just because home values um, are are so high that they can't necessarily afford to get anything different. Uh, one thing is that due to these rapid rate increases, uh, people are electing to stay. Approximately 85% of homeowners right now have rates that are lower than today's current mortgage rates. So if people are starting to look more towards um, saving money and not, uh, you know, spending additional money in markets that might see a decrease in value. If we have 85% of homeowners that have rates that are lower than today's current mortgage rates, again, I'm no expert on high level economic standards and what people are or aren't going to do. I'm just simply a financial professional that likes to take a look at this and kind of formulate my own opinions. But I think it would be a safe wager to bet that if 85% of homeowners have essentially cheaper expenses right now if they stay where they're at, 
then at least in the near term future, unless we see a big drop in the actual um, home prices, that a lot of people are going to start electing to stay and not have as many people that are looking to move um, than we did you know, over the past few years when we saw basically a 45 degree angle on the price chart when looking at home values and home prices. So kind of an interesting fact that I uh, came across when I was doing research for this. Um, it is just absolutely crazy to think of just how cheap money has been for so long that so many homeowners, you know, you know, with the exception of about 15% of the US homeowning population, essentially having cheaper interest than what is currently available today on their mortgages for their properties. Now, again, with the uh, increased inventory that is coming onto the market, again, that hopefully that is going to start driving down prices, which is going to increase the amount of investment opportunity for people out there. So if you are someone that is looking to invest in real estate, it is definitely going to be a good time to start paying attention to exactly what is going on because these values hopefully are going to start dropping and is going to be creating a good opportunity for you to invest in real estate. Now, again, whether that is a good idea for you, you definitely need to make sure that is uh, something you're checking with your financial advisors or other people that can advise you on it. But it does kind of paint an interesting picture that if these home prices are going to reduce and you want to actually create a good opportunity for yourself to uh, you know, purchase some investment property, if you are able to do so, uh, it's, it's going to maybe necessarily kind of play into the next fact is that if we have so many people in the United States that are looking, uh, that are unable to purchase homes, then they're going to be forced into renting for longer and longer. Investing in things like rental properties and commercial multifamily real estate um, might actually be a very um, good way to preserve value in your investment portfolio. If so many people are going to continue the demand for actually having a uh, rental property or rental unit, then outside of the stock market, this might be a very interesting place to look to add value to your investment portfolio. So uh, with hopefully some reduction in pricing might create some more investment opportunity. You know, I would hope that it creates more opportunities for people to buy their first home because it is a fantastic way uh, to build wealth in the United States. But if people are still being priced out, especially for people that are uh, new to, newer to the workforce, it's going to take them a while to catch up because uh, you know, home values certainly probably are not going to lose 50% of their underlying value. If it's $420,000 right now, going back down to a medial home price of 210, it's going to take a lot more than I think is going on right now in order for that to happen. So uh, keep an eye out on it because we do have increasing inventory. We are starting to also see some uh, good news coming out of the new home uh, construction area. One of the biggest uh, metrics to look at is um how many permits are being pulled for new home construction. Now we saw basically just a just a bloodbath of people not being able to build homes because of supply chain issues. Uh, we had the big issue with lumber. We've had issues with other raw materials, things like sheetrock, shingles, all these different things, and a lot of them being imported from Asia uh, that have started to alleviate. And we have seen new home builders uh, from Q1 of this year increase permit applications by almost 1%, uh, which is fantastic news for new home inventory, because although more homes are coming on to the market as far as inventory of homes, there isn't an increase of the total inventory of homes in the United States due to the fact that building has cooled off so much. So having additional new inventory come on, hopefully, again, the 
concept of economics, additional supply with uh, steady de with uh, decreased demand, hopefully will start to drive down some of those prices in conjunction with what the Fed's monetary policy is on raising rates. So raising rates with an increase in inventory, hopefully we'll start to cool things off a little bit to the point where people can find good value in investing in real estate. Um, again, not just necessarily from the point of view of investing uh, your own personal funds, or sorry, not necessarily for just investing in your own personal residence, but also from the aspect of investing for uh, cash flow uh, into a particular um, strategy that you might have. And what I want to leave on is uh, the the concept of investing for cash flow. With the securities markets getting hammered so much, again, some of them losing almost a quarter of their total value with the S&P 500, if you're an investor that is investing and needs uh, steady cash flow from your retirement or from your investment portfolio, if you were invested in dividend stocks that were, let's say, losing 10, 20, 30% of their value this year, the amount of dividend that you are paid is directly related to share price. So if you were invested in that kind of... Um, in that type of structure, then essentially you would have lost 10, 20, almost, you know, however much value you had lost, you would have lost that amount of cash flow. So if you had, let's say, $20,000 a year of cash flow coming out of your stock portfolio and you lost, you know, 15% of that, you know, that's a very big hit when it comes to how much money you're actually going to be getting in your pocket. Now, with the hopeful cool down and increased availability of being able to invest in real estate, investing in things like rental properties uh, can definitely be a much more stable way to get that type of cash flow back into your investment portfolio. Additionally, if you are maybe looking to invest and be a lender on real estate, now I think would be a very good time to take a hard look at that because with the Fed's raising rates, probably again, an additional 75 basis points is you know, maybe what we're looking at. Uh, it is, again, making money more expensive. And with people, especially investors, needing more creative financing options, Stepping in and being a lender on a particular piece of property or a particular real estate asset, whether that's with an IRA or yourself personally, I think that's going to open up a lot of opportunity for people to have good value and create good, steady, secured cash flow within their retirement plans, within their within their investment portfolios personally. So taking a look at investing in real estate for cash flow, as well as investing into the debt side of things for real estate as well, secured by real estate, is going to be places where I think people can make uh, very um, very informed and very positive investment decisions uh, for themselves in the coming future. Again, I have to always encourage people, if you are listening to this and you want to do these types of investments, always check with a financial advisor or an attorney. They're the people that are going to be able to give you the best advice on your own personal financial situation uh, for you being able to make the best choices possible. But with that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning into this special edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. I hope you got some good information from it and we were able to kind of uh, consolidate the uh, rather tiring news cycle that people keep hearing about, you know, supply chain, inflation, um, you know, Fed rates. Uh, hopefully this kind of demystified a little bit of it for you and kind of brought you some good information to maybe make some more informed decisions on your investments going forward. And with that said, I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you for tuning in to the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Tune in next week for more investing tips and strategies. Want to hear more episodes of the Alternative Investing Advantage? Search podcast at advantaira.com and subscribe.